Sports Podcast. I said, Welcome to, welcome to the Dirty Sports Podcast with Andy Ruther and Joe Prano. Welcome to, welcome to the Dirty Sports Podcast. Welcome to the Dirty Sports Podcast. I am your host, Andy Ruther. Coming to you live from Cincinnati, Ohio, with my co-host from Los Angeles, California, Joey. No chill, pray no. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, Joseph. How's it going? It's good, man. It's good. I'm battling these nice, cold winters out here in the Midwest. You guys have snow out there right now? We had it on Monday. But it all melted. Now we're about to about mid twenties. I, I got something new. You know, I'm always I'm always getting into something new. Yeah. Oh, we know that the episode 799 of the Dirty Sports Podcast. Almost almost 800 episodes. I can't like. I would love a uh, Jesse Stenga or somebody to have a list of the crazed things that you got way too passionate about for exactly three weeks of time and then moved on to something else what's your thing well this isn't new it's just a new little wrinkle i really enjoy running in the cold okay this like, is a new wrinkle so like today so like last week we've had a lot a lot of the days have been you know where it doesn't hit 30 where you're mid the late 20s or low 20s i like it like i like the cold air in my lungs i like how it now, feels are you what do you what are you running in? What's what's your outfit like when you're running in cold weather? It's a good question. So if it's you're not one of those guys who's just like out there in short shorts and you're like, it doesn't bother me. No, no, no. So I so I got these I got these black tights, black tight top, black tight shorts. I'm sorry, pants. Courtesy of Costco, of course, the brand's called they're really cheap. It's called 32 degree heat. So I just put those on. I'll put like a runner shirt over it, like something I ran a marathon in that I got. Uh, the runner shorts, gloves, and a hat. Okay. Now that's for like 25 degree weather. Once you get below 20, I'll put a hand warmer mm -hmm. in the gloves. But you, you basically, you dress. They say you dress as if it would be 10 to 15 degrees warmer. Because if you do... Right. A long run. Like I'll do six plus mile runs. If you're doing that long, I know it sounds cold and you know, you're seeing your breath the whole time, but when you do 45, 50, 60 minutes, you know, at a good pace, 25 degrees really feels like 40. Yeah. Um, but I'm even going to take it one step further and I'd love to discuss this with people. I think this would actually be a good Twitter discussion. I would, I would prefer running in 25 degree weather than 80 degree weather with humidity. I mean, um, listen, this is coming, you're, you're talking to a guy, I have almost no reaction because I don't run at all. It's one of my least favorite fucking things to do in the whole world. I hate running. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I'll, I'll tell you what, the, the, uh, the temperature, Range is way, way smaller 
but I would, I would say I would actually rather surf when it's a little bit colder than when it's, I don't like being in a wetsuit when it's warm. Like when I feel sweaty, I don't like it. A lot of people are always like, you know, I was surfing. I didn't surf with Eddie yesterday, but we had, we went down to Encinitas and we were going to surf on the way down waves were shit. But like, I don't even have like a four, three wetsuit. That's just like too hot for me. Like I'd rather be a little cold than hot. Yeah. Well, to me, it, it does sound similar. I'd rather be a little cold than hot because when you get hot, you just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel the difference is when I'm cold, I can still move. I might be, you, you know, you, you feel the cold. You might be a little slower, but when you're hot, you're just like, it's just, you're, you're just, it's just so difficult. Cause you're just like, oh, I need some water. This sucks. So uh, on that note, I'm moving to uh, Antarctica. It's, that's what Great. the decision I've made. Going to become an Alaskan marathon runner. Yeah. I'll be running from, from bears and wolves and whatever other wildlife they have up there. I don't know. You tell me. People on meth. Isn't that a thing up there? Yeah. Yeah. I've always said Anchorage is basically just Cleveland with a lot more snow. Are a lot of people on meth in Cleveland? I don't know, but it's just, I mean, you know. A lot of people are on meth in shitty neighborhoods everywhere. I feel like Cleveland is just like a one big shitty neighborhood. I mean, you always got to go Ohio. You always got to take a dig. One of, one of the cities. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, just one of the cities. My my beloved home state. I do think it's the. It might be the end of the beard. I I I've said if we lose. We have a back to we have a back to back Friday night Saturday AM if if the fourth grade boys if we lose two now more the beard's got to be giving you good coverage in your runs though it it is but if we lose two more in a row I, I'm I'm you know the superstition of Listen, sports I've, I, you're you're talking to a guy who in the spring of 2010 prior to the spring of 2010 did grew or shaved my beard into a mustache on, on novelty occasions, like for, for funniness, for, to, to, you know, for characters and sketches for like, I never wore a mustache for real as like a look and then shaved my beard into a mustache during a high school baseball season in which I was coaching from that day on, we did not lose a single game for the rest of the year. We end up winning a state title in my last day in New York. We beat Poly Prep, a very, you know, well-known school with, uh, you know, gives out athletic scholarships. Joe Kim Noah played basketball there. Brian Flores, the coach who's on the market, played linebacker there. Uh, John Franco's son was the starting pitcher against us. We beat them in a championship game, and I said, there's something special about this and I have been rocking it for the majority of time <clears throat> since spring of 2010. So, so trust I me, I, I, I believe in uh, facial hair powers when it comes to coaching sports. Well, that's interesting. I didn't realize the mustache. If you, if you look at your life, then, I mean, it's still relatively new last 11 12 years i mean i mean i'm just saying like i shouldn't say relatively new but like i just always think of you as with a mustache but yeah a lot of people do but no it, it is i mean i would say it's a 
I'd say it's only like a standard, somewhat standard, the last quarter of my life. When's the last time you had no facial hair? Uh, I, I know when it was, it was, uh, so I had the mustache when I broke my leg shaved like, so post post accident, I like could, you know, I couldn't do anything. So I wasn't getting up and shaving at all. So then the beard came in around it and then post about a week post surgery, you know, you're not showering every day. It's, you know, beard gets a little gross because you're not showering every day. I got up, I shaved clean. I grew a beard back from that in two days. Yeah, basically, <laughs> but grew a beard back from that and kept it for a little while, maybe even shaved clean a couple more times just because I need, was, you know, I was basically on bed rest. And then, uh, I mean, when I grew the beard back and then took it down to the mustache again, it's been with us ever since probably been a year and a half. Wow. This is the long, this is the longest stretch I've ever gone exclusively stash. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Stash game is strong, but I do. I really do believe in like superstitions with facial hair and sports and, I don't know. I know. I know it sounds ridiculous. Like, so like I'm fascinated by superstitions and sports in general. I mean, playoff beards have always been a thing. Sure. You know, and especially in hockey. Yeah. Julian Edelman used to rock that for the Pats. Remember how thick his beard would get? Yeah. During the playoffs. Seemed to work there, for them. There would always be the Dirk. Dirk would like shave his head. Dirk would go crew cut in the beginning of the year. And by the end of the year, he had the flow. Yeah. Wonder what Dirk's up to these days. I uh, probably just living the greatest life of all time in the Dallas area, right? Hard. Like, do you think a guy like Dirk just gets up every day and then is like, "Hmm, where should I go for a free meal this morning?" Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> just gets in his car, does like the Princess Diana out the window all through town, just waving at people. <laughs> Goes to his goes. Oh, I, maybe I'm gonna have a free omelet this morning. And this goes to some place, and they just everybody. Dirk walks in everywhere, and just round of applause in Dallas. Got to be right. Yeah. Oh, I see. There was a story. I just put Dirk into the, a Google search for the news, and uh, I'm gonna have to read this. It looks like it's a long, in-depth story on Dirk because he recently had his number retired. So this was written January 5th. It's a long piece on The Athletic. It's titled, We Ain't Kicking, We Ain't Through Kicking Your Ass, The Essence of Dirk Nowitzki in a Dozen Stories. Ooh. Mm, that sounds great. Yeah, and it's, I'm, I'm scrolling through. Yeah, this is a long, this is a nice little piece. Uh, and I believe Dirk deserves it. Like, you know, I, I'm, 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 if, as far as Dirk Nowitzki fans go, I would assume I'm, pretty high on the list of people who are not actual Mavericks fans and who are not Germans like that guy. So great, you know, obviously defensively deficient, but like offensively, what a fucking talent gets them that title. I am. I, I might write a book one day about that Mavs championship team just to tear down 
it's like it's like it's like pseudo a LeBron defense book, but also just like a Dirk slurp book just to that that team gets zero credit. Well, it's only it's only it's only talked about in like, oh, yeah, maybe if you get outplayed by J.J. Barea, Jason Terry, it's like, first of all, kill yourself. Second of all, go back. If you watch that 2011 Mavs team, like all you would need is to watch the playoff run, watch every playoff game. It got so fun where they just refused to miss for a while. They were not dude. They were beating the fucking 72 and 10 bulls. I believe that. I believe Whoa, they were blowing that's, out. That's a claim there, Joe. I believe they were blowing out the 72 and 10 bulls in an NBA finals. They had wing defenders. They had guys who's like only think they were like, oh, it was almost as if they were like, if you are a above average wing defender and you can't do anything else and you keep bouncing around from team to team, we will take you and put you in this eight man wing defending rotation where it's just like, oh, how about 12 minutes of Deshaun Stevenson ruining your life? Like they're not beating the Bulls, Joe. That's that's a reckless claim. Okay. They beat the shit out of the defending champ Lakers. Well, that's, you know, I just pulled it up. That is something we we agree on that people seem to forget. They beat they they beat the shit out of the the Heat team that went to four straight cha- four straight finals and won two of them. So they finished that year thir- third seed. They have the same record as the Lakers, 57-25. You can't forget the Lakers were two-time defending champs that they swept. I mean, the Mavs through that playoffs, I, I you know, I, w- I will say coasted. You know, they took the first series against the... I'm just talking about a team that got hot and stayed hot for an yes. entire playoffs. Like, I just don't think anybody was stopping them from scoring, like... Okay, so you're gonna put on you're gonna put fucking Scotty Pippen on Dirk. Cool. It's the Hito Turkaloo fucking, you know, uh uh what's his name? Who's it? Paige Stojakovic, Jason Terry, Jason Kidd. Every the the threes that were being hit in, in those that playoff run. They I'm telling s- you, I'm gonna you now you're forcing me to do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna write a goddamn book about like the the lack of respect given to that Mavs team. They went 16 and five in the playoffs. So, I mean, they, they really, they really played great as a team. And if you go through their, their lineup and their roster. Our they, boy, if, if our boy, Jason Damashino, the great Damo is listening to this, which he often does before he goes to sleep. Um, he will tell you that if you fill me with amphetamines, uh, I will scream at you about the 2011 Mavs disrespect until the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> well, that, you know, they had five players that averaged double figures close to a sixth with Berea. I mean, they, they, if, if you look through their lineup, we definitely agree. They're one of the most disrespected teams because they were the epitome of team basketball. They had guys who could shoot. They had guys who could score. You had a go-to guy in Dirk. You had lockdown defenders. You had a you know, bench. like the thing about the when I say the 72 and 10 Bulls, the thing about it is it it honestly does remind me of a basketball version of the same years. Uh, New York Giants team, actually, no, sorry, the 2007 Giants team. It's like this is a team that got in the playoffs, got hot, 
got confident. They kept every time they would win a game, they'd get more confident. And it's like, we'll beat anybody you put in front of us to the to the tune of we'll beat the 18 and 0 Patriots. I mean, the 18 and 0 Patriots are a better football team than the 72 and 10 Bulls were a basketball team, right? I mean, that 18 and 0 Patriots team is the greatest team in sports history, right up until they lose to a team that was feeling hot, feeling confident, feeling like they could beat anybody. I feel like that was what that Mavs team was. I feel like cool story. You're just the 72 and 10 Bulls. You're just the newest team that we're going to hit all our threes against. Yeah, I, we don't agree there. I, I, I think that I mean that 72 and 10 Bulls team, they, they were they were really good. Really good. The the Mavs team, I remember watching, like I remember vividly watching that Mavs Lakers series. And if I recall, game one was a very close game and the Lakers lost and the wheels fell off. And by game four, that was the worst defeat that ever had in playoff history. And same for Phil Jackson. I mean, they lost by 40. It was at that point, it was. And remember the end of the game, everybody just started like everybody on the Lakers, the defending champs. Bynum, Artest. We're just they they took them to the point where they just were guys were just fucking it was uh it was rage quitting Madden like you're playing it was guys just throwing remote controls at their brothers at the end yeah it was like when I beat the shit in my and beat the shit out of my brother in Madden and he'd punch holes in the walls like yeah Andrew Bynum was fucking elbowing people in the neck now if you were making a list of the most disrespected champions of all sports they might be the top I don't know who else you could put up there. I'd have to do a deep dive. It's it's definitely a good discussion. And the knock, you're right, has always been that's that's the big blemish on LeBron's career, which which I also think is a fair knock. That's a fine that's fine. No one's ever said that like no one's ever the the my my issue with that is like you can knock LeBron all you want of, you know, he doesn't show up quote unquote in that finals, his stat line, blah, blah, blah. But like the thing that I hate about it is like, so-and-so would have never lost to that Mavs team. The killer instinct of the, like, first of all, Kobe lost two rounds earlier. He got sweat. Like everybody was losing to that Mavs team. Like I just, I just stand by that. I think every single championship team prior to that was losing that Mavs team. Yeah, they definitely caught fucking beatable. They're they unbeatable. They hit an unbeatable stride. They definitely caught fire at the right time. Tyson Chandler is in the middle. Like Tyson Chandler is two years away from being the defensive player of the year. Like he's already, you know what I mean? Like he's just like, people are just like, who the fuck is Tyson Chandler? Two years later, if Tyson Chandler had been in the middle of a championship team, you'd be like, of course. Yeah. It was two years later. I thought... I- I wonder if he uh let's see here. When did he win it? He yeah, two years later. Or no, one year later. He won defensive player of the year. He was a good defender, man. I mean, it, it took him a while. Obviously, he was the second overall pick. Yeah, it no, took him a while, but he was also super young when he came into the league and he didn't like he he didn't find his way. He found his way in that on that team where they were like, here's what you need to do. Yeah. You need to defend the middle also he was doing what he what ended up becoming like almost his signature was if he can't get a rebound in the middle he would tap it out 
he would tap out offensive rebounds to your point to the point guard at the top, just keeping possessions alive. You have one of the greatest scorers of all time, a seven foot tall wing post wing, high wing, play. like Dirk's where's Dirk on the all time scoring list. I mean, what are we talking about? Yeah. Here's a fun fact about Tyson Chandler. Wikipedia is great. Isn't it? Chandler grew up on a farm doing farm work, such as milking cows, slopping pigs and cultivating crops. Dude, he was at age nine. He was already nearly six feet tall. Yeah. Dear God. There's your book, Joe. You should write it. I am. I might have to do an oral history of the 2011 Mavs. Now, let's fast forward to 2022 NBA. What would be the current history of the 2022 Mavs, Western Conference, Lakers, all these teams we're talking about? It's a different yeah, story. Dude. I mean, it the the NBA, and we haven't talked a lot about this year. Obviously, we all I have I have uh, made my signature statement on the Dirty Sports Podcast about the NBA. The NBA season starts Christmas Day. We're now almost a month removed from that. We haven't talked about it a lot because of how uh, you know deep in the football we've been. But like, what's amazing about the NBA, and I was just talking to my buddy about this, is with everything going on in the world with COVID and all everything that we talk about, like I can't even imagine like talk about 10 years ago, the being in the 2011 season, I can't even comprehend having the conversation then about like, is it better off if Brooklyn falls into the bottom half so that come playoff time, the first two games of every series Kyrie gets to play because they'd be on the road. Like, is it better off for the Nets to not be a home court advantage team for the playoffs? Because right now we have a 28 and 15 Chicago Bulls leading the uh, East, which kind of no one saw coming. Sure. Now, uh, Lonzo lots Ball. Of injury. Yeah, we got lots of injuries. Lonzo Ball, meniscus tear report today, followed by Miami, who had obviously the Cinderella run in the bubble, a down year last year as compared to the Cinderella run. Now they're in the two spot. Brooklyn, who is three and may or may not even want to stay in the top four. Um, Milwaukee, defending champs, who it seems like are doing the you know, uh, early 2000s Lakers thing. Like, who cares? Let's just get through the season healthy. Let's just coast. We can beat anybody on any given day. Philadelphia at five with Joel Embiid playing insane whilst simultaneously turning down trade off, like great trade offers for Ben Simmons, which may or may not even be true. Is Daryl Morey leaking fake trades? Because it seems crazy that some of these trades that have been leaked have been turned out. The Cleveland Cavaliers, who were even higher than this in the rankings for a while, but like no one had the Cleveland Cavaliers as a playoff team. You got Charlotte with LaMelo Ball kind of turning around the franchise quickly. Then you get into, and this is, you're already into these teams that would be in a play in situation. Uh, Charlotte, Washington, Boston, Toronto, 
and the Knicks creeping Knicks and Atlanta, two teams who played in the four and five series last year, creeping just outside the play play in spots. And as I said about the Knicks, Knicks showing signs of life, but also showing RJ Barrett coming into his own OB coming into his own, the young guys, they trade for Cam Reddish. My thing about the Knicks is trade Julius Randle immediately and, you know, plan this long term. Then you go to the West Phoenix. Everybody thought potential down year from Phoenix. Nope. Best record in basketball. Uh, Golden State back. Clay back. Like Memphis. I mean, I, I text Tug about it. I would say every two to three weeks. Uh, I just go, remember when we watched the NCAA tournament and we both said we would take John, John Morant one overall over Zion and people lost their minds. I was like, I think about it daily, how fucking right we were. I mean, at this point, and the last time we had this conversation, I said, might be a little bit of a stretch to say RJ Barrett two over Zion might still be a stretch, might not be as much of a stretch. Um, but John Morant is looking like he's the best point guard in the NBA for the next decade. Then you got Utah, another team that was in the mix last year. Like they're, they're almost without the championship. They're almost the West coasts, uh, bucks just lay in the weeds, wait for the playoffs. Dallas who has been playing well, you got Luca, like that team is, has gone through so much health and safety, injury, whatever. They're still in the five seed, 26-19. Uh, Denver, you got defending MVP in Jokic at six, still probably the MVP of the league right now. It's just wild. And then you get, and then we get into the Western Conference play-in. Minnesota, Lakers, Clippers, Portland. That's bananas, dude. I mean, the NBA, a great time, honestly, for us to start winding down on football and start winding up in the NBA. I'm, I'm ecstatic about what's going to, what NBA spring is going to bring us. Well, you mentioned Kyrie. Let's, let's play a, a call about Kyrie. And since he's back, what's up fellas is you uh, want to talk about the Nets and the Kyrie situation. So, you know, they're doing the home and road back and forth. So it has come out, um, not widely spread, but that he technically can play in New York. Um, The only thing that would happen is the Brooklyn Nets would be fined for letting him play in the arena. The thing is, the fines for the first time, it's $1,000, and then it's like $2,000, $3,000. And then after the fifth time until infinity, it's a $5,000 of fine per game. So based off of how many games they have left, it'd be like $100,000. Why in the fuck are the Nets just not paying the $100,000, right? So then you have him, you're already paying this guy millions and millions. What's a hundred grand to anybody? So it makes you wonder really what's going on. So one, kind of, I got two, two stipulations or two possibilities. One is, New York City themselves told them, if you fucking do this, we will, you know, do everything in our powers to make your life miserable. Because if they let him play just for this little fine, then the whole New York City mandate just looks like shit. Or two, if he plays at home, 
they have to pay his salary. Right now, they're only paying half his salary for the road games, which totals like $17 million extra dollars. So maybe they're just thinking, you know what, we don't really need him. If it comes to the playoffs, we will pay the fine. But right now, we'll save ourselves the $17 million. What do you guys think later? I think <clears throat> it's a great call, and I think it's probably a combination of the two. Um, like, yeah, they don't necessarily need him. I'd argue that the Kyrie obviously is the least important of all those guys. Maybe not even, I, I, I'd almost argue at this point, he's not even the third most important guy on that team. Um, Kyrie, we've seen what Kyrie's been over the years. Like it's just, it's, it's one thing after another and all the talent in the world, but like just dealing with this. So you're, you have half of it. It's almost like kind of the best of both worlds. You have this like weird talent that's only playing in road games. Uh, it costing you half the money. And yeah, I think the thing much like the tennis story with Novak Djokovic uh, in Australia. Okay. The guy has had COVID he's healthy. He's, you know, he's one of the most like, like, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but like one of the most fit athletes in the whole world. Um, the, the fear isn't, Oh my God, what if he comes to Australia and gets COVID and dies? Like, they're not worried about his health. What Australia is worried about is being like, why, why would we make rules for you that we don't make for everybody else, every other citizen? Then it just looks like it's just, you know, people in our country at this point are already complaining. Smart people, at least, are are already complaining about rules for the rich and, you know, taxes for the rich and whatever versus this versus everybody else. So the idea that we're going to publicly and famously uh you know change the rules for multi in some cases hundred millionaires like and then not change them for the actual citizen what you're I mean you're just spitting in the face of your population. Well the the amount like he said in the call it really isn't that much money. Now, the, the Kyrie thing, you, you know, my thing with him, is it's like you just got to make a decision, man. Like, like all this, I'm going to play. I'm not going to play. It's like a relationship. It's are you in or are you out? You want to be with me? You don't want to be with me. You want to marry me? You, you know, like, what, what are we doing here, man? Like, like. Like my thing is I can actually put the COVID stuff aside. I don't really care about that because at this point everyone has their opinions and everyone is going to tell their opinions. But from a sports and teammate perspective, you, you weren't going to play. Now you're going to play, but now you're going to play the away games. Like that's not good for team chemistry. That's just not good. I don't care what yeah. anybody says. That's not good. And I, I would almost argue. Why, why did they let him come back? Like my, my thing is, Again, this has nothing to do with COVID. It has something to do with the cohesive unit of a team. Why, why let him come back? I think here's one thing I'll say. I think Steve Nash is a good dude. Yeah. I think Steve Nash is a smart dude. And I think Steve Nash has a great sense of like, I, it's hard to say so far whether or not Steve Nash is a talented or, or, you know, smart basketball coach, if he's a strategist, if he's going to be able to out coach people 
you know, in NBA finals games. But I think the one thing Steve Nash does bring, and it's perfect for a team with like the multi superstar is he knows how to deal with these NBA egos. He knows how to deal with like being kind of the a player's coach and whatever. So I think what part of this is, is Steve Nash realizing that when things aren't going well for the Nets in the player men and power in the player empowerment era, the Kevin Durant's and the James Harden's are going to be like, what the fuck? Like we need Kyrie and Steve Nash figuring out the best way to give, to give them what they need without also being like, yeah, man, we're fucking NBA. We're NBA superstars and we can do whatever the fuck we want. And if you don't want to come, if you don't want to be vaccinated and come to the game, have you thought about being fucking super rich and paying a $5,000 fine? Fuck off. Like I think Steve Nash is aware of both sides of this coin. Whereas, you know, maybe, uh, and, and maybe part of that is the fact that like, you know, Steve Nash had won college scholarship and, you know, made it in spite of people not believing him and stuff, as opposed to the guys who born and raised, oh, I'm going to the NBA, look at me, I'm a physical freak, whatever, and just have no ties to reality. Steve Nash has always been a guy skateboarding around fucking Soho and shit like that. Like, I think he's in touch with general human emotions and so he's like listen how do i do this and give my team the best chance to win and also not seem like just a total asshole to our fan base to the nba fans in general to new yorkers in general but don't you think don't you think like like to bring it back to the team and the cohesive unit that i'm saying don't you think camaraderie is a big thing And, and i think you don't have to be best friends. And I just read, you know, Scotty Pippen's book and he obviously details his friendships with the different bulls players and how him and Michael Jordan were never that good of friends. But he also talks about, they weren't the best of friends, but uh, you know, the memorable nonstop card games on the plane rides and all that. And, And I thought it was really cool hearing on the Manning cast when the rock asked those guys what they missed most about playing. And Peyton Manning didn't hesitate. And he said, it's the plane rides and it's that. And it's having, you know, 52 of your friends after a big win or even a loss, like you're in this together. And, and that's why I bring up the whole thing with Kyrie being half in. You, you don't have that element. You know, you're not traveling as much with the team. You're not, you're not bonding. You're not sharing these moments that well, I here's, think. Here's, 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 you know, it's, it comes full circle to kind of the, the first conversation we had. I think that in the NBA, especially with such a small roster and such a small amount of guys who, you know, contribute on a daily basis as a, as a compared to say baseball or certainly football, which it's like, you know, Peyton Manning being like 52 guys. But like, I think that camaraderie, you can have a certain amount of talent and you can win the championship. If you have, if everybody hates each other and you're the most talented team, but, when you add in everybody gets along, everybody's friends, everybody's like hundred percent on the same page, you can take that to next level. I mean, I would almost argue, I mean, we, we, we've, we've know we've heard the backstory now about, you know, Shaq and Kobe's relationship. And obviously they get the three Pete, but then it falls apart. You could almost argue like if they had had the good relationship, 
that a guy like Peyton Manning being the leader in your locker room brings, could they have gone, you know, 75 and seven and won six in a row? Probably, maybe like it, it almost seems like that is the kind of thing on certain teams, even maybe those Bulls teams so talented, but have these like weird, you know, Michael Jordan's punching guys in the face, blah, 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 blah. It, and, and, you know, does that contribute to him leaving for a couple of years? You know, you look at some of these teams like Tom Brady's going out and getting it's all about talent for Tom Brady. Give me the Antonio Brown. Give me the guy who's going to cause a little mayhem. But that's kind of like part of what he likes is to have a kind of like a guy like this and a guy like that and a Randy Moss receiver and whatever. But I'd almost argue if you have talent or even if you don't have as much talent and you can take that comrade, like, listen, I don't have this answer yet, but in the 2011 Mavs oral history that I'm writing, I have a feeling I have a feeling we're going to find out that they all got along, that they all loved each other. I think we're going to find out a lot about the European influence. On the team. How many euros were on that one fucking squad? A lot. Like a diverse squad. Like, and then we go full circle to the thing. I believe talent wise and the comrade, like I believe that team would have beaten anybody in that series. Any team. To that point, I think they would have beaten in that series. That's where we we come full circle because, yeah, that it is a big factor. But you also need talent. You, you can't. You can. You can overachieve, but sure. you you also need the talent to get yourself there. Yeah, no, for sure. You definitely need the talent, and you're right. Finding that combination, which isn't easy, of the camaraderie with the talent are the teams that seem to take it next level and seem to win titles. And then you have teams that are just kind of thrown together like this Lakers team, which is a, it's a disaster. I, you know, I I don't, I don't, there's no other way to put it. It's just not working out. It's not going to work out. They're not going to do anything in the playoffs. You have all these vets and you have like a hodgepodge of younger guys. And 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 I think that's the thing about, LeBron James, like if there is a, if there is a hole in the LeBron James legacy, and I know everybody wants to talk about again, that Mavs series or him ch- ring chasing with teams and blah, blah, blah. I don't, none of those to me detract or are enough of a tr- detraction from me still calling him the greatest player of all time. But to me, the biggest flaw in the LeBron James career is LeBron James, the GM is dog shit. And what the way the LeBron James, the GM should be handled is LeBron paint me a picture of what you need. Like describe the player, what he does for you, what he does for a team. And I, as your GM will go out and find him for the right amount of money and for the right, you know, age and whatever, as a, like, say, Hey, I need a spot up wing shooter. Who's going to run the floor with me, play a little defense, pass the ball a little bit. Okay. Let me go. Give me that caricature and I will go find him. What LeBron James does is says, give me Carmelo Anthony. And you're like, dude, why would we give you Carmelo Anthony? Carmelo Anthony doesn't belong in this league at all on any team, let alone on this team. 
You need a catch and shoot guy. How about we get one that doesn't have some sort of ego baggage? It doesn't well, have I, that isn't yeah. chasing some sort of all time scoring numbers like nepotism. That's his downfall. But he. What basically what he it's not I don't even know if it's nepotism as much as it's he thinks he can take guys. That and, and make them fill a role. And also have the camaraderie like he, I think, is thinking about, you know, the level of like, oh, I'm friends with Mello. I can get Mello to play this way. The, all the stuff we talked about having good chemistry or whatever. He's like, if I bring in guys I like. Yeah. Then we, we'll have that camaraderie factor built in. And it's like, yeah, but you don't have the talent anymore just because, you know, him for 20 years. He's also been in the fuck. You're the only guy. LeBron, who's this old, who has contributed in a significant way in the NBA ever. So why would we bring in other guys like you? We know you like Dwayne Wade. He's been retired for four years. We're not bringing him onto the fucking team. Yeah. Well, I, th I think the winning formula for any championship team, and I'm sure the 2011 Mavs included this, is Miller Lite. I th I'm pretty sure that's I'm pretty sure Miller lights uh, featured heavily in the Steve Nash, uh, Dirk Nowitzki uh, bar pictures from famous bar pictures from years ago. I'm pretty sure there were Miller lights in that picture. Right. Yeah, I think I, th I think you're right. Well, I know Miller light is prevalent at the Jerry Dome. There's Miller light banners everywhere. So I'm assuming it'd be prevalent elsewhere throughout the Dallas Fort Worth area. What's what I love about Miller Lite, Joe, it's made, it's made from simple ingredients. You know, they're, we're talking about the winning formula for winning titles, and which is pretty similar to that, right? You're saying talent and camaraderie. If you get those two things to mesh, and that's kind of like Miller Lite. It, it's got the malted barley, which gives it the rich, balanced toffee. Is it toffee? Well, what am I reading here? Toffee note flavors and the golden toffee. toffee. Yeah. I'd almost say that the, uh, you know, the malted barley is like the Tyson Chandler. Okay. The toffee nut flavor is like the Jason kid. Obviously the water that holds it all together is, is Dirk's splashing high post jump shot. Basically every bottle of Miller light is the 2011 Mavs championship team. I, I, that's a perfect analogy. And you hear it all the time, right? Like people, people will, you'll say, I want a great beer. And people almost don't even think like, they're just like, oh, I hold all these fancy schmancy beers on hire. And I would go, I'm going to do an oral history about why you're wrong. This yeah. is the greatest beer of all time. If you get into the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. I mean, since 1975, Miller Lite has been the beer with the taste you can depend on. No games, no gimmicks, just a great beer for people who love beer. Miller Lite, great taste, 96 calories. Go to MillerLite.com forward slash dirty sports to find delivery options near you, or you can pick up some Miller Lite pretty much anywhere they sell beer. It's Miller time. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. And let us know when you're partaking in America's finest Pilsner. Tweet at Miller Lite. Tweet at Dirty Sports. Tweet at Joe Prano. Absolutely. It's my, it's one of my favorite things. It's one of my favorite aspects in the entire run of almost 800 episodes of the dirty sports podcast. One of my favorite things to come from it. And there's a lot of things that have come from the show that I love, 
one of my favorite things is like the random message, the random tweet, the random Instagram where I find out, hey, somebody's drinking the world's greatest Pilsner and they're thinking about me while they do it. And here's where they are. They're at a football game. They're golfing. They're at a barbecue. They're, you know, skiing. I'm like, yeah, thank you for thinking of me. It seems like you're having a great day and I appreciate you thinking of me. Well, we're talking about things you've been doing and up to. I, I want to uh, I want to get an update, a, a SoFi Stadium update. You participated in the first playoff game at SoFi yep. Stadium. Yep. On Monday night. Uh, I went a, to see a beatdown. Uh, I went to see the Los Angeles Rams and wildcard weekends. Highest graded PFF receiver Odell Beckham uh, dominate the Arizona Cardinals at SoFi. It was a random two minute drill uh, ticket purchase and trip to the stadium. Very close to SoFi. Literally left my place at 430, maybe even later. Got tickets on the way, uh, got in just after kickoff and got to my seats with plenty of time in the correct end zone for the, you know, Odell Beckham opening fade jump ball touchdown. Um, and the only reason I almost uh, wasn't there in time for the Odell Beckham catch is my SoFi uh, review. My updated SoFi review is this. Um, watching the game at SoFi is awesome. It really is awesome. It's that video board is otherworldly. I mean, they even did a thing at one point where they were kind of kissing their own video boards ass and giving statistics and showing, they showed the, the largest plane in the world and what its wingspan would look like up there. And how many pixels it had compared to Jerry world compared to this place, compared to that place, that screen. It's insane. If you haven't seen it in person, it's hard to even describe that you can be looking at a video board and it has five different things going on at once. And you're getting a stat here and, and yet on the same video board that's now, but sort of facing the other way, you're getting a, re a, a replay of the game. And then on the same video board on another area, you're getting like, there's so much information and, and replays and whatever up there. And then the actual game view from most every seat I've been to at this point is pretty awesome as well. Outside of that, the stadium is a goddamn nightmare. It is a nightmare to get around. I mean, I've never been in a, any sports stadium in history that is harder to walk around. They, it seems like part of the, um, part of like the, the soul of SoFi is catering to the uh, VIP types. But when I say that, it seems like there's 10 different levels of VIPs. There's, VIP seats, there's club seats, there's silver seats, there's gold seats, there's whatever. And yet in each one of those sections, and I don't know if you remember this when we did the tour, but you remember there was like a door and we couldn't go through that way. And there was like security guards standing there. So you like, if you're on the main level, you can't just like walk a loop around 
because at the around the 50 on either side, you have these club seats that you need a ticket to go to. So literally at one point, we tried to go to our seats and then they were like, no, if you try to go this way, you're going to have to literally walk instead of walking two sections to your left, you're going to have to walk all the sections around the other way. And he was like, what you want to do is you want to go back upstairs and go around this way. So we go back upstairs, take the escalator. We go this way. And then we get stopped by this woman. And she's like, where are you trying to go? And I'm like, I'm just trying to go to the section that is like 20 yards from here. And yeah. she's like, she's like, well, this is a VIP area. She's like, I'll have to, I can get you there, but I'll have to escort you through. And then she like had to escort us through this VIP area. So we didn't stop in there on our own. It's like, there should be an easy flow of walking around. And then the when I went to the Chargers Giants game, usually if you're at like a mid-level in the stadium, right? You're at, let's say you're above a 200 level. You're able to walk down through the 200 level, then be at the top of the 100 level, and then walk down to that. No, for us to go to the two, from the 200 to the 100, we had to go backwards down some stairs into the bowels of the stadium through four escalators to come back up. So the, so it sounds like the big knock is the lack of convenience to get around. It, it's impossible to get around. I don't understand why they would do that. I, I honestly think, I honestly think the blueprints make it relatively easy, but then Everywhere you go, there's like a barricade that stops you from going where you need to go because that's a club area. That's a VIP area. That's a whatever. And it's like, cool, but let people walk through and then they need a wristband to fucking stand in there. You know what I mean? Well, and then it, yeah. if you have a wristband, you can stay. And if they see you're not wearing one, kick them out. Well, it sounds like you're what you're saying definitely is, is you know, stadiums made for. And it's classic LA move. It's made for the business class, the celebrities, the people that are wealthy. But the problem is when you go to an NBA game, the court side is for the famous people. And then there's suites. This is like, oh, we're going to put a VIP area in the 300 level that now people who have reasonably priced tickets can't easily move through a reasonably priced level because there's a fucking random thing in the middle. And then the other thing is this lady escorts us through this VIP area. No one's in it. There's like, it looks like a club. There's like lounge seating and whatever. Zero people in there. Yeah. Well, look, they're going to have a problem. I think, and we saw it there in the San Francisco game when that they say, they say they have 60% Niners fans. Yeah. They're going to have a problem. When they face those types of teams in the Dude, playoffs, Rams fans were out in force. Like, no, for sure in that game, and that's what they said. Yeah. But, but like, let's let, let's let's just fast forward. Let's say things play out right, and there's some upsets. Let's say the Rams are hosting an NFC Championship game, and it's Niners Rams. Yeah, that that place is going to be fifty percent Niners fans. Right, it will. Yeah. Um, and that's a shame that it's not easy to get around because. It, it is a gorgeous stadium. And like you said, from what I've heard, the same thing. It's like there's not a bad seat in the house, even if you're up in the, the quote, football unquote, viewing blues. experience is awesome. Everything else is kind of a logistical nightmare. Parking's a logistical nightmare slash Uber out is a logistical nightmare. 
um, getting from one side of the stadium to the other inside or outside because the, the outside is so sprawling as well that like when I was leaving, I was like, I almost don't even want to bother. Like I got to go from one side of the stadium to the other. So normally what I would do is I would just still do that walk inside because now you have to go like a shorter distance. But I was like, I don't even want to deal with somebody telling me you can't go. And that was it. By the way, on the way out, they had areas closed. like on the way out, just open the doors, let everybody move everywhere on the way out. They were stopping us from going in certain areas. So I was like, fuck this. I'll just walk outside. So now I go outside and I've got to walk twice as far as you'd have to walk around any other stadium because the area like the build out of it is so sprawling that you're like so far away from the field when you're technically like, quote unquote, outside the stadium. It was insane and then so you know rideshare parking tailgate all that it's all a nightmare moving around the stadium is a nightmare the food reviews as we've gotten not great not really good like at all okay um, so, so let's do overall because because you you and i and i haven't seen a game there but we've both been to uh at&t stadium down in dallas like like let's do an overall Football viewing experience is the best I've ever had in my entire life. Outside of the football viewing experience, it's almost as bad as anywhere I've ever been in, in like it. Honestly, this is to tell you how it was giving me Ikea vibes. It was giving me like, there's so many people here and I can't fucking escape. I can't move. Like, why are you all, why can't I go here? Like, I just want to go right fucking there. Yeah. I see the fucking thing I want to get to. Let me fucking walk there. No, let's let's discuss, you know, let's get to the actual game. And, and I want to bring up Cliff Kingsbury. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Before we get into Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, because I know that's a deep conversation. At what point do we take that? Do we wear the L chain for the Odell Beckham? You know, the, 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 the tearing down of this man over the years. But what am I wearing the L chain? I just said I, I wouldn't have wanted him. And at this point, you got to say that's wrong, right? Joe. What, 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 like, what are we debating here? I, I'm we're like, so you said you wouldn't want him. Right. And then they took him. You have to say that was the right decision at this point. Right. He's I mean, in that out. game, he caught a touchdown. He had a, a couple of other big catches. He throws a 40 yard pass. And then he has, and you win, you win our Jersey Mike's bet by half a yard. He has another 30 yard catch brought back on a, a holding call. He was the highest graded receiver in the wild card weekend in a game where they didn't even have to throw the ball that much because they dominated him. So he's their leading receiver over Cooper cup. Like he, he was essentially their go-to guy in that game. Yeah, I know. But, but my stance on Odell, it, it, it it's kind of the same. It's like he had his run. Remember when we made the bet, what was my what was my hang up? I wasn't the touchdowns because they're they're looking for him in the end zone and he's a nice option on the five, seven, eight yard line. I'm not disagreeing with that because but now you- what we're seeing is that little that little wheel route he ran that got the ball down to the two when Stafford pushes it on the QB sneak. That's a play they designed for Odell. They're 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 going with the double pass. That's a play designed for Odell. It seems like just like I said, they're starting to go, hey. This guy's special. Let's we have a week here. We're, we got to we have new playoff wrinkles. 
but 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 hold on like like that's probably where we still disagree like this special he's not he's not odell from 2015 he's just not i mean the, they open the game with just hey we're gonna throw the ball up in the air you jump up you out jump a guy and catch it toe tap back corner of the end zone i, I know but, but but let's tap the brakes we're debating we're debating if he was gonna get 55 yards. 55 yards is nothing we're debating if he was gonna get 55 yards the touchdowns are one thing the touchdowns are, are great but like that that's all I'm saying is like we're debating he's averaging 45 yards a game with the Rams like he's not he's not crushing it I mean he's 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 let me ask you this let me ask you this it, it goes back to this point you've seen this with running backs who get a lot of the touchdowns near the end zone remember when Julio Jones wasn't getting touchdowns and people were on his ass but he was catching 1500 yards in a season yeah it, it boils down to that what would you rather have a guy who had 12 touchdowns in a season and 750 yards or a guy who has 1500 yards and four touchdowns. But, the, but in this situation, what you have is you have Matthew Stafford and a Rams offense that has Cooper cup who led the league in receptions yards and touchdowns. So really at this point, teams have to scheme around that guy. So the idea of bringing in a guy who I would argue has at every single stage of his career, I'm sure since he was a two-year-old running around in the playgrounds, has just been more physically gifted than other people to beat guys in the red zone or to throw 40-yard passes on trick plays. Like, dude, they, he showed, like, he's, Odell is a good NFL receiver, has had elite NFL time elite time as an NFL receiver in the past. My point is the people who have criticized the guy at this point, it's just at, at this point, you got to look back retroactively and go, what were you criticizing? I think we can find a common ground. I think he's a great number two for them. Do we agree on that behind the, behind the triple crown winning NFL receiver? I, I think on most teams, he's a great number two at this point in his career. Okay. Just like I think Antonio Brown for the Bucks was a great number three at this point in his career. I, I think this is a better role for him. We can okay. agree there. We can agree there. And I don't even know if you agree. I, I think I think the way they use him and the way McVeigh uses him, yeah. It it's it's clearly worked. And I just think also that we're just getting started on that. That's why I I am like. I, I, I don't pray often, but I pray that Odell stays a Ram. I think it would be, I think it's where he belongs. But see, again, you're, you're, you're just, you're, you're hung up on the glory days. The, 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 the new romance you guys had, I think, you know, the 2013, 14, 15, whatever years. I'm not hung up on the glory days. I'm hung up on, again, this is what we talked about last episode with perception versus reality. That's the thing that's really always triggering for me. I hate it when guys... And, you know, we talk about this across politics and COVID and sports and whatever. I hate it when stupid people who don't know what they're talking about run with either numbers alone or some sort of media portrayal of somebody and then go, I mean, there. I still see it. I still see it. People going, yeah, but fucking when he was in Cleveland, he was in fucking the place where athletes go to fucking die 
You're in fucking Cleveland. Like we're talking about a guy who no one who's ever played with him has ever said anything fucking bad about. And yet we have the diva, the cancer, the locker room killer, the like whatever. It's like it's just plain untrue. People go, oh, the brainwash. You you guys got fake news. You got fake news. That's what you did. Well, I'm trying to look out of curiosity. I'm trying to see what, where his line is at this week as far as uh, scoring. But this is all the players. So there's a lot on here. Okay. He's plus 165. So, to score. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's that's it's kind of remarkable that he's plus 165 to score every week now. I mean, the dude. That's pretty high. In comparison, no, I mean, I mean, I think that's. Is, Cooper Cup is minus 135. Yeah. But also that's, I mean, you kind of just count on that. I mean, plus 165. I mean, it's not even, you're not even getting two to one odds that a random second receiver is going to score every week. Yeah. So obviously you were at the game. I mean, it was a beatdown. It was just a straight beatdown. The Rams, all sides of the ball, Rams just beat them down. I don't care what anyone says. The Cardinals were never in that game. Yeah. We have to, we have to, at this point, assess Cliff Kingsbury. They started seven and oh, they finished five and seven. Now, obviously they had a great start. They beat a lot of good teams when they started seven and oh, but he notoriously has finished bad. He didn't have a good college record. He leapfrogged a lot of coaches deserving to have a head coach job in the NFL. I, I just I don't know where like where are the Cliff Kingsbury stands right now, if there are any. I'm I'm just wondering what are they saying? Why does he keep this job? What like well like, no one's no one's denying that Car- Kyler Murray's developed. That was definitely the worst game I've ever seen Kyler Murray play at the collegiate or NFL level. Yeah, let's let's play devil's advocate a little bit. I think we should. This team's this team's been an t- entirely different football team offensively since one of the elite receivers in the NFL went down DeAndre Hopkins. So, you know, now the Rams are in a fantastic position where they have, uh, in my opinion, great number two receiver that if Cooper cup went down, I feel like could fill the shoes to some extent, but like you're talking about DeAndre Hopkins, the elite receiver in the league, uh, a security blanket for Kyler Murray. So, from an offensive standpoint, they've just been different since that happened. Now, more devil's advocate. First playoff game for Kyler Murray. Okay? On the road. Division team that you've played the third time. Uh, the the Rams, in my opinion, better. And I don't want to say that this Cardinals team was paper tigers, but I will, I will say that this Cardinals team being undefeated for seven games was paper like. No one ever thought they were that good. And the end of the year kind of, we, we, we kind of got the, I almost think they didn't deserve to finish. They didn't deserve to start seven and zero, and they didn't deserve, deserve to finish five and seven, but in a way, like it almost balanced out properly, like, you know, 12 and what, what, what did they, what did they finish? What was their record? 12 and five. Yeah. Like 
seems still seems a little like seems like they were like an 11 and six kind of team. It still seems like they got off to like more of a hot start than they really deserved based on their talent. It's like they won a couple of good games early and they and, you know, props to Cliff Kingsbury for having them ready to go week one, which a lot of teams struggle with. And then they don't get into the playoffs because they find themselves later in the year. But um, they also got manhandled in this game. And you really have to look at, forget Hopkins, forget first playoff game. Like you guys didn't, you didn't do anything offensively. I mean, you were just giving the ball away. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, I mean just I mean, wasn't game, ready. The, and, and that Kyler Murray decision in the end zone was, I mean, that was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Like, what was he doing? What was the end game there? <laughs> like, I don't know. Just take the sack at that point. We've seen Tom Brady do it in a Super Bowl where you, you know, in one of those giant Super Bowls, he's back in the end zone. He feels the thing coming. He threw a ball 50 yards it like in somebody's general area. And it was a borderline, you know, intentional grounding. And they obviously gave him the intentional grounding and it was too. But like, obviously, you want to give up two points there rather than give up seven. Just throw it out of bounds like huck it. Do whatever you can, but the idea that you're underhanding it to like some sort of random open space you see just outside of the end zone, reckless. I guess the question for the future, if you keep it in that division, Shanahan's not going anywhere. McVay's not going anywhere. So those are the other two offensive guys in that division. And then Seattle's a giant question mark. My point is Kingsbury, good luck competing against those guys. And Seattle, and I think Seattle will figure it out to some degree, whatever they do with their coach and quarterback. Yeah, you certainly don't want to be in a position where you have the fourth best coach in your division. But I would argue, again, to play devil's advocate, tough to, like, okay, what is their option in terms of going out and finding somebody to crack the top two in that division, like or sure. the top three. Like, I think we can all agree. Pete Carroll is a great coach and whatever's going to happen in Seattle is going to like, but let's say Pete Carroll's gone. And let's say the, in sometime soon, Pete Carroll's gone and they replace him with somebody that doesn't have the resume that Pete Carroll has. Let's say automatically Cliff Kingsbury based on the fact that he's been coaching in the NFL is the third best coach in that division to crack the top two. You've got to go out and find a better coach than Shanahan. I'm not saying that's impossible. Yeah. But, but what does that look like? Sure. No, I agree. That, that's why I'm saying like, we've got to discuss it. I'm not, I'm just trying to assess him at this point. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I said, and I stand by, and I think it was proven, and I'll, I'll send you, I meant to send you some stuff, but I'll send you some other stuff. There's a great breakdown of the long pass to Jefferson in that game. I don't know if you saw this. There's a video breakdown of Matthew Stafford essentially throwing that long pass to Jefferson, no look, and like the head movement that he used to dupe a safety it's an awesome video, an awesome breakdown of it. But I'd argue that, uh, again, 
basically wildcard weekend was won by the better quarterback. And I obviously this isn't a groundbreaking theory. If you have the better quarterback in a game, you probably are going to win the football game. Doesn't always work out, you know, uh, but it's a good thing. Like that being said, Kyler Murray is the future of the Arizona Cardinals, right? If you, if you had to say, what is the future of the Arizona Cardinals? Give me one person. It's not JJ Watt. It's not Hopkins. It's not Cliff Kingsbury. It's this team's going to succeed and fail on the back of Kyler Murray. So if I'm the GM of the Cardinals, if this doesn't have to be like a fucking godfather type of sit down, but like I'd casually talk to my franchise quarterback and be like, talk to me about Cliff. Like we're talking as friends here. Nothing's going to be decided today, but like, yeah, is he, that's your boy. Sure. You, 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 you want him for the next 10 years. You kind of like, tell me now, like, where do you see yourself in five years, Kyler? <laughs> like, is this your soulmate? Are you guys, are you guys going to make it official? Are you guys getting married? Is this a, is this a Russ Pete Carroll situation? Is this a Brady Belichick? Like, is this your dude? Nothing's going to be, he's going to be our coach next year. He's going to be our coach next year. Let me just say that right up front. But like, talk to me. Is this your football soulmate? Because I think that's probably the most important conversation you need to have, right? Yeah, just such a like you said, you don't have to win. It's your first, it's both the coach and the quarterback's first playoff game. It's not easy. It's on the road. It's a loud environment, but you got to at least put up a fight. Like there was no fight. There was no fight in that game on both sides of the ball. I mean, the Rams were just gashing the runs up the middle. I mean, it was, you know, obviously you were at the game, but it was, it was nice watching the Manning cast to hear what they had to say and, you know, it, it was it was just it was just bad. It was it was just to be honest, it wasn't a fun football game to watch, as you can imagine. Like live, I'm sure it was great yeah. in a Rams atmosphere. But as a as someone who, you know, for anyone who wants to watch a competitive game, you know, there were some bad games this week. Now let's talk about the flip side of the ball, quarterback wise. Matt Stafford doesn't have to do a lot. He looked he good. Goes th- he he goes 13 for 17, 202. He averages 12 yards a pass, two touchdowns, one sack for seven yards, QBR 82.6, a rating of 154.5. He looked good. I thought he looked looked good, good, but he didn't, he looked good, but he also did what, you know, I've said is kind of the key to the Rams being good, which is they're gashing them running the ball. So then it sets up all the other stuff that they're going to do. It puts them in third and shorts. It puts them whatever. And those, you know, and then he has guys, he has Cup, he has Beckham that can win little routes when they need when they have a you know third and goal on the three or whatever. You have guys that you can trust to just chuck the ball up to. Um, does it answer any question about the Stafford? Does the one does the playoff win finally answer anything about the Stafford? I mean, he certainly looked great doing it. And again, if you look at that breakdown, he has. Dude, I would say he has like elite, uh, like not mechanics, but like elite you know, game style. Like he plays the game on a net on another level from a like a logistics standpoint. Well, he look, if they can run the ball like that, he, he's too good of a quarterback 
to make mistakes, like as you can see. And, you know, that's the old Rams formula. I think people forget because he's, you know, he's just not playing right now. But Todd Gurley was so good for those few years and it opened up everything else in the passing game for Jared Goff to make a couple Pro Bowls. This isn't Jared Goff. This is Matthew right. Stafford, much talented, right. much more talented quarterback. So, you know, if they can run the ball like that, they're going to be a tough out for anybody. My, I guess my question, though, to you is now they go into Tampa Bay to play Tom Brady and the defending champion Bucks. If he lays an egg, it's not good. Okay. So you, in terms of legacy, it's like this is this is he's got his playoff win, but like he didn't look. It's not like he took over a game. You're the one who said multiple playoff wins. Yourself. No, I I am saying that. I'm I'm that's why I'm I'm of I agree I'm kind of agreeing with you in terms of like yeah you can't go down there and throw three picks and and lose by seventeen to the box. Yeah, but I'm almost like you're going west to east against the defending champs. It's like I think if you go to toe to toe with Tom Brady and you lose at a by a field goal or got or you know on let's say even obviously win this game. I think now we're going like, okay, this, this, this was the right trade. This is the right guy. My, my early feeling is I think he's going to play pretty well. I mean, this is just based on gut instinct. I think Stafford's going to play pretty well. I'm not, I don't know if they'll necessarily win, which I think they got a great chance, right? That's a three point spread. We'll jump into the games now. I think they have a great chance of winning. That's saying it's, it's, an even spread on a neutral field. I, my gut instinct is I think Stafford, I think the Rams are going to play well. That's my gut instinct. And I think that should be a good game. Now, there's a lot of question marks for injuries concerning Tampa Bay, especially their offensive line. <clears throat> and, and, and this is a big one for Brady. You know, you're, you're, you don't have Antonio Brown. You don't have Godwin. You got the replacement guys with Mike Evans and Gronk. So, so we'll see. You think there's a high scoring game? Do you think this is uh no? Do you think these defenses take over? I, I can see that. I think it's around a 24-27 game. Pretty high scoring, relatively. Relatively. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the that's it's over. I mean, over under is 48. So that's a 51 point game right there. Okay. My gut instinct is saying Bucks in a close one. I'm going to ride this fucking Rams team. I knew you'd say that. I just, I mean, obviously I have rooting interest in rooting against fucking Tom Brady. Fuck Tom Brady. You know, I like this Rams team. Like I'm look, I mean, I've said it before. I I even posted it on my Instagram. I'm like, and I'm a hundred percent honest. And I might clip this and send it to the people I know that are over at one giant's way or whatever the fuck you know, the address of the, the executive offices for my New York football giants are, but the giants are Odell Beckham re-signing with the Rams and doing something stupid, like hiring Bill O'Brien away from me being like, I'm, I'll never fucking wear a Giants jersey again. Like I am, you know, I'm in a foreign country and they are trying to get me to defect. I am thinking about it. <laughs> no way you will do that. I mean, if, a combo of like Odell coming back to the Rams, which I would love. I'd, I'd low key be a, like the Rams are my second team. If Odell resigns for the Rams, cause it's here and it's easy 15 minutes fucking away. And then, I mean, if the giants, if the giants 
Yeah, O'Brien would compound that by doing a oh Bill O'Brien or being like, you know what? We jumped the gun. Jason Garrett not only shouldn't be the offense coordinator, he should be the head coach. I'd be like, guys, I'm fucking out of here. What are we doing? If Russell Wilson ends up being the quarterback, I'd be like, I don't think I can do this. Ah, uh, Mr. Unlimited. I don't know, man. That's tough. I mean, you're giving up on four Super Bowls in your lifetime? Four. And listen, I'm not saying they wouldn't be able to lure me back in with like an Arch Manning drafting in a couple of years, but I'm on. I'm on. Listen, I have a mistress right now. She's blonde. She's dyed blonde, but she's blonde. <laughs> She's definitely into men too, so it makes sense. Hey, listen, I've been down. I've, I've, I opened up that conspiracy wormhole, but also the guy's having a baby, having a baby. So at this point, we've got to say maybe I was wrong. Doesn't really matter, does it? Ultimately, it doesn't matter, but these are some big words from you. I mean, I I mean even toying with the idea. Uh, like a pretty California blonde. Just throwing the. I've got a. I've got an Italian Jersey wife at home, and I've got a California blonde that keeps hanging around. I, my advice to you is let this stuff, let this playoffs run its course first before we make any rash decisions on throwing our again four Super Bowl lifetime fandom away. I mean, you. I mean, I, I hope you realize how lucky you are. Like I'm. How- I've listen. I'm very lucky. I'm not saying like it's. It's hard. I'm just saying we have made some some criminal criminally bad decisions from a coaching standpoint recently. We brought in. We brought in Aaron Rodgers' quarterbacks coach, <laughs> who then benched Eli Manning. We brought in Jason Garrett to run the offense. Like we've made some criminally bad decisions lately. I, I, have, I, have I, think, I think it's a very, very, very long shot, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities that Bill O'Brien ends up the head coach of the New York football giants with Russell Wilson as his quarterback. And I'd be like, guys, I'm sorry. Fuck off forever. I just thought of an idea. We, we talk about bringing in like bad coaches. You know how like a company will make you sign a non-compete if you leave? Yeah. And, and there's obviously a lot of discussion surrounding the, the lack of opportunity for black head coaches. And, you know, people can debate that all they want. I, like, I don't really care. Like, I think right now Mike Tomlin's the only black head coach in the NFL, which, which really is surprising. But I, I think, you know, you know, one way to help that, the Rooney rule has clearly done nothing. And people will just interview somebody for to check that box. What if the NFL set a rule? If you were fired, you couldn't coach again the next year or or there was a limit. If they said like, Hey, so-and-so was fired. You got to wait a full season before you can be a head coach again. Yeah. You're in timeout. Don't you think because to me, the biggest problem is like the retreads, the Mike McCarthy's of the world. If they, if they instituted that, which I think is fair again, Mike McCarthy was out a couple of years, right? Was he? He was out a year. Remember then ESPN do the story about like him in a 
rural Pittsburgh barn with like all of his assistant coaches still like breaking down tape or whatever. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And then his wife would come in and be like, you dinner, guys, dinner's at six. And then he'd roll in at six, six Oh five. And she'd yell at him and she'd be like, you still suck with time management. <laughs> fucking five minutes late. I don't know. It's just an idea of saying like, you, you can't come back in the league for, or maybe a head coaching position. If you were a head coach for a year or two, I don't know. It's just an idea because I, I, I think, I think we need to evaluate there's a lot of things that need to be evaluated. The Rooney rule, the, the retread coaches, a lot of things that just don't seem to be working out because we have a lot of bad coaches and there's a lot of coaches. Like you see it, like the, the common, even non, non like knowledgeable sports fan can like anybody with a brain saw Mike McCarthy was a shit coach in green Bay. He's going to be a shit coach in Dallas. Anybody with a brain saw anybody with a brain saw urban Meyer is not going to be the fit in Jacksonville. There's just certain coaches where you're like, this is just not going to work out. I did see the wild thing the other day, the meme going around. It was, uh, it was the 2013 then Washington Redskins. Yeah. And it was LaFleur. LaFleur. How do you pronounce it? LaFleur. Yeah. Sean McVay and Shanahan were all offensive coaches. Yeah. All went on to become at the time Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. The other two went on to become offensive coordinators and Washington didn't get a single one of them. The three of the four coaches left in the NFC. <laughs> yeah. And they had Jake Rudin. Yeah. But Hey, who's in the mix to be an offensive coordinator. I saw that today. Jake Gruden's been in the mix to be, I forget who's somebody's offensive coordinator, the Panthers maybe. Again, retread. Yeah. Like, what were you doing in this time off to make you suddenly earn this position? He was, uh, I think, I believe he was just managing his brother's emails. Yeah. It's good. It's a good little segue. Thank you. Gretzky to Robotide. Go! The NFL. Is trying to dismiss John Gruden. So John Gruden sued the NFL, which I think has merit as far as why just his emails leaked. This has nothing to do with what's in the emails. It's just why did they leak? Right. And of course, Gruden's email is, is or Gruden's lawyer is contesting. There was no explanation or justification for why only Gruden's emails were made public out of 650,000 collected. So that's the argument is why were they leaked? Why his and only his? And the NFL's counter argument was, well, you used emails that could be sent to the public, which it's like, okay, we all know that. Like, it, it's like, they're not really denying. They're just stating the facts when they're responding. So we'll see. Right. And the answer is because the NFL needed a fucking scapegoat. Yeah. Cause they got, they don't want to address things like CTE when they have guys walking around buck naked like Malik McDowell, which if yeah. people haven't seen that, I mean. I haven't it, seen it, but I've heard about it now. It's just sad. The Malik McDowell Browns arrest. I mean, this guy has a, he's got a criminal history, but he also has a history of a serious brain injury. So this one speaks to me, a fellow TBI 
traumatic brain injury person. I mean, he was walking around buck naked on the streets. He was near a preschool. He didn't remember any of it, supposedly. He doesn't remember any of it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you guys haven't seen this, you should go on TMZ and watch this video. There's a few videos. He's claiming he was laced with something. Or maybe he just took all those helmet-to-helmet hits for years. And also, again, he had a traumatic brain injury, which put him out of the league for two years from an ATB accident in 2017. I mean, I get paranoid riding roller coasters. Let's just put this in perspective. I'm like, is my head rattling around a little too much? I had a traumatic brain injury in 2014. This guy is a defensive tackle, which means his helmet is going head-on play after play with an offensive lineman. And if I was like, divert, divert, leak another email, divert, divert, leak another email. Nothing to see here. Ridiculous. Okay, let's get to this week's games. Let's do it. We got a nice, fun slate, I think. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for these games. Have we basically already covered Bucks Rams? Yeah, we have. It's, I'm it's picking a- the Bucks to win. I like it. Let's go. My my Bucks, my Rams team. Let's go. I'm picking my Rams to win. It's a toss up for me. I'm gonna edge. You know, I'm gonna be a homer to my boy Tom Brady. I'm gonna say the Bucks win in a close one. You think you think the Rams cover me? It's only a three point game. I think I think whoever wins wins by three. And yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards the Bucks. So essentially Bucks push. Yeah. Okay. Saturday kicks off with the Bengals Titans. Ooh. This will be a fun one. This will be a fun one. The Titans are three and a half point favorites. Derrick Henry's back. But Holby Limited coming off a broken foot. This of all games boils down to the line for both teams. The Bengals are banged up defensive line. The Bengals give up the most sacks in the NFL this year. The Titans give up the second most. So you got teams that can get after the quarterbacks. You always say it boils down to quarterbacks, coaches. The Bengals have the better quarterback. I'll argue with anyone on that. And I'll argue the Titans have the better coach and he's a seasoned postseason coach. So this is a real tight game. I think the key is going to be enough. Like that Burrow has enough time because if he has enough time, he's going to find receivers. The, the Titans secondary isn't that good, that they're better stopping the run. So if he has enough time, I think the Bengals win. If he doesn't, if they, if they get to Burrow, the Titans win. I think the Titans win in a close one. You think the Titans, what is it? Three and a half. Yeah. And Titans cover. Does it really matter? Does it, does this matter when we're doing the postseason? No, no, not okay. at all. I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying from a stamp, but like, you know, we do it the whole year. True. I, here's what I think. I think, I, I think the Titans win in a close one. Of like I think this is going to be a good game. I think this is I think this has potential of being a back and forth game. Yes. Even in a low scoring 
sense. I'll this will be low scoring. I the over under on this 47 and a half. Betting the under is not fun. I'm not going to tell you to bet the under, but I think it's a low, lowish scoring game, but it has a potential of going back and forth. Big touchdown here, big touchdown there. For the sake of Randy Ruther, I'm going to say I think the Bengals cover. I'm not going to say that the Bengals win. For the sake of Randy Ruther, I don't want to ruin his potential Super Bowl run here by picking them to win. There's something with me picking this Bengals team. When I pick them to win, they do not show up. But I'm going to say I think the Bengals cover this game. And I think I might be riding some underdogs this week, to be totally honest with you. From a betting standpoint, I might be on at least three underdogs. Yeah, I think this will be a great game. I really do think it boils down to the lines on, on both squads. And, and that's going to be the difference. If, if Burrow gets sacked, I'll set it at four. If Burrow gets sacked four more times, they lose. Also, I think I saw something. The Bengals haven't lost a game this year where Burrow doesn't turn the ball over. And he hasn't turned the ball over the last four weeks or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Right. So so again, and that's key. You got you gotta you gotta let Burrow stay in the pocket and throw the ball. But Burrow also gets it out quickly. The Bengals have such dynamic receivers. And then and then we'll see. You know, I already know the strategy. Let's be honest. The strategy for Tennessee, it doesn't matter whether Derrick Henry even plays or not. They're just going to want to keep the ball away from Burrow, run the clock, make it a low-scoring defensive battle. That's what they're going to want to do. Try to get that one Burrow interception. That is like the key to unlocking the, you know, a loss. Listen, this is tough. Like I said, I'm in a bracket. I have the Titans winning this game. I have the Titans winning this game. But I'm kind of like, I'm torn like... Who, who do you even root for? You know what I mean? I'm like, am I rooting for my bracket or am I rooting for this Bengals team that I kind of like? So I'm just going to leave it at, I think the Bengals cover. All right. And I think it's a close I feel like game. we're both kind of agreeing. I, that's what I'm saying. I think if Tennessee yeah. wins, they win by three or less. And it's a three and a half point game. Next one's another good one. San Francisco playing some great football. Five and a half point dogs. Jimmy G hurt. Multiple injuries. This is why. What do you, what's the, what do you have as our line? I'm looking at FanDuel five and a half. Okay. Yeah. It's up to six in some places. And I think that the, the line is where it's at because of the Jimmy G injuries. I'm going to go with the Niners cover this game. I think the Packers absolutely win this game. I agree. But I think that the night, I think that I kind of don't care about his injury. <laughs> like, I kind of think for the Niners to be in this game, which I think they will be in, it's going to be about their defense and it's going to be about um, running the ball. And it's going to be about not making, not, not having Jimmy G. I don't really love this one. I'm not, I'm not big on the Niners covering because I think the Packers are getting healthy at the right time. Yeah. Packers are going to have a lot of guys coming back, but what I think about in this game is I think you're going to see a little rust, the two weeks off, the the like half-assed week 17, you know, Aaron Rodgers playing time. So you have essentially the bye week, second half. I think that they come out rusty as a ton of teams tend to post-bye. 
I think we could see the Niners run the ball and get out to a start. I think the Packers, no doubt about it, close and win this game. I think uh, the Packers money line is a lock for me, but if I was picking it with the spread, I think it could be a close game. Yeah. I think this is the, probably the game I'm the most confident in. And, and obviously it is point spread wise. I think the Packers win. I agree with you. I think they start out a little slow. Second half, they turn it on. There's just too much Aaron Rodgers, too much Devontae Adams. They're getting guys back on both sides of the ball. Dude, it's going to be like eight degrees there. It's tough to play. It just really is. Now, I know Aaron Rodgers has struggled against the Niners in the playoffs. He's three and three. So, yeah. But I, I just, I just like, you know, I again, think, I just think honestly, health wise, you Packers know, are getting healthy. Niners aren't. Yeah, exactly. And the last one will be fun as well. That's Sunday night. We have a Bills Chiefs game. That'll be fun. A rematch because it was in Kansas City as well. The Chiefs are a point and a half favorite. I think the Bills win and cover. I think the Chiefs win and cover. Ooh. I think that you look at this playoffs and you know, I basically I don't want to jump to too much of a conclusion about either team based on their last performance, because how can you? Right? If you were gonna jump to a conclusion that oh, this team is firing in all cylinders. You could almost argue as good as the Bills looked, and they looked amazing. They played the perfect football game. That the Chiefs looked almost as good. <laughs> like, so uh, I think that this one comes down to, I'm I'm going to say it like in all these games, like it's quarterback and coaching. I mean, I think I think both of these teams have great quarterbacks and great coaches but I'm going to take the team that's kind of done it a few times the last few years. I'm going to take the chiefs. I, th I honestly, I just think it's the home game. I think it's the, I think it's arrowhead. And not only do I think it's arrowhead, but I think instead it, it's not the bills home game. I think it's, it's almost a bigger push that the bills aren't at home than the chiefs are at home. If that makes sense. Yeah. The bills get, got superpowers last week. In front of their home crowd. I, I just like the Bills, man. They were my preseason pick to win the Super Bowl. And I think they're going to come ready to play. And I'm excited. I mean, these games, like, oh, I mean, they're all incredible games. Like, They're great I, matchups. What, what game are you most excited about and what game are you least excited about? Because I, I can't. It's hard for me to even fucking it's tough. To, it's tough to pick. It's really tough to pick. This game I'm really excited about. I'm also really excited about the Bucks Rams. I'm also, you know, the the Bengals Titans is an exciting game. Yeah. I would have a hard time ranking them one through four. Yeah, I would. I really what would a weekend. Too. What a weekend. I have I to know. get my bets in order. That's what I gotta get. I crushed it last week. I took my entire fucking I took I spent a little bit of money making some bets for some friends and I took my entire bankroll and put it on the Niners money line. So I'm just I'm just Scrooge McDucking my online gambling funds right now. I got to figure out my bets this weekend. 
all, all my Bengals fans are, you know, I'm trying to get a little out of the hole here. A lot of them have gone silent on this Titans game. Uh, you want to double down? Maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put out some feelers when we get off air with some of my Bengals fans here in Cincinnati and say, okay, guys, because a lot of them, you know, are talking shit. Let's to me. let's rank confidence. We are in we're we're most we're, we agree on the four teams. We think the Packers were the most confident in the Packers winning. Correct. We disagree on Bill's Chiefs. So I would say that I'm not like. But I'm I, I still think maybe I feel I think. I still think maybe I go confidence in winning. I might go Packers, Chiefs, Titans, Rams. Like, I mean, you can't, I can't, you can't be most, I, I like this Rams team, but you can't be most confident in a team that's a three point dog on the road, right? I would go Packers, Titans. Bucks, Bills for my confidence. Same thing. You can't. Yeah, you can't. You got to be least confident in your road dog that you're picking. Yeah. Exactly. So, we'll we'll see. Should be a fun week. I mean, so many potential storylines when you look at these games. It's like Bengals Titans. The storylines either. The return of Derrick Henry or Joe Burrow is the top three quarterback in the NFL, right? Like, I mean, this, these are, these are like potential storylines that could come out of this Packers Niners is like Packers are on fucking cruise control. Watch out Super Bowl or Niners have the Packers number and Aaron Rodgers is a playoff joker. Bucks Rams is Tom Brady. Is he going to play till 55 or is Odell Beckham elite? Chiefs Bills. <laughs> I mean, Chiefs Bills is like the AFC quarterback crown up for grabs, right? And I'll A little tell you bit. What, the, the AFC. Or like the AFC, even like the, 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 the next AFC superpower. Well, I mean, look at the AFC, look at the future of the AFC quarterbacks right now. With Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Herbert, you know, obviously Lamar's won an MVP. Like, like those four first four guys. I mean, I well, mean, well, here's here's what I'll say about this, and it's funny that you you know you bring it up because I just saw this comparison to sort of a throwback to the era when it was the AFC had Brady. Manning, Roethlisberger, Rivers. They were like, listen, like, remember when the AFC every year was these guys battling it out? Dude, Tom Brady is Tom Brady won like every fucking year. I mean, Peyton Manning, I, obviously, I'm a Peyton Manning stan, and I would argue that Tom, I, I, I have argued, I will argue, you know, their legacies will be ever, forever, you know, judged by Brady being in. New England with Belichick and all that goes with that. And, you know, Peyton Manning's legacy is that, man, he was getting to their, to the cusp every year and got multiple Super Bowls, even despite all those other things. But 
kind of the same thing now where you go, you look at this last game. It's like Allen Burrow Herbert. It's like, dude, I think feel like Patrick Mahomes is the Brady of this era. It's like, cool. And when all was said and done, Patrick Mahomes went to seven Super Bowls and won three of them, you know? Yeah. I mean, it could happen. And that's, I wouldn't be shocked. It, didn't it seem like that every year for a while? And the Brady, it was like, this is the story this year. It's look at the, look at the Flacco Ravens. Look at the, you know what I mean? And all was said and done. It was like Tom Brady went to eight straight conference championship games. Yeah, no, it's true. But he definitely had his battles with Peyton Manning. Uh, no, absolutely. And I think, I think, I think, you know, uh, I think Josh Allen will get to a Super Bowl and Josh Allen will get to uh whatever and Burrow will have his thing. But it's like right now, what's more likely? Like Josh Allen goes to his first Super Bowl this year or Patrick Mahomes plays in his what what will this be? Fourth straight conference championship game. Well, that, and and that's that's kind of my my through line with with the Bengals fans who are like I mean, have some understanding of history like they're all blah, blah. like dude i'm, I'm getting texts during the show I, I got two buddies they, they won't shut up ruther you're clueless super bowl super bowl. i'm like you guys don't know shit i'm not, I'm not saying the Bengals can't make the super bowl they, of course they can they're one of eight teams left but i would this- argue they can't i'd argue they can't i mean I, I like and i'm not i'm not a fucking Bengals here i i like i'm looking river but it's like i again say now they have to go on the road and beat the one seed after coming off a bye. And then if they do that, they have to go on the road and beat a Bills or Chiefs team. I don't think they're ready for that yet. I don't think they are either, but that's kind of my point. Is, is that like how, like you're saying with Brady and those other guys he had to go against, like how hard it is. And again, that's where it's, it's not just one player. It takes a team and organizational effort. And the Chiefs seem to have it in place. We'll see if the Bills can come up big this year. Uh, the Chargers are the Chargers. The, you know, they're, they're. I'd argue here. This I'm trying to be like a, a reasonable football fan, and also just like like let's talk about the Bengals and and Joe Burrow and the this the building of this team and Zach Taylor and the future and the receivers and their defense and whatever. If you go into Tennessee, Bengals fans, Randy Ruther. Uh, whoever else is out there. If you go into Tennessee this week and you win and you even play a reasonable game next week against the Bills or Chiefs, it's just a competitive football game. Have a fucking parade, dog. Sure. Have a parade. Yeah. You're that it it means you are building a contender. Sure. Have a fucking parade. Yeah. I'm there. I'll come. Yeah. It takes steps. It does. Most people don't go straight to an AFC championship. And I'm kind of rooting for you to do it. I'd love a, I'd love a Mahomes or Allen Burrow quarterback shootout in the AFC championship game. Let's fucking go. Yeah. Well, on that note, it's time to wrap up the show. If you guys have a call, 310-359-8365. I finally got the koozies. I know. Finally. I've been dropping the ball months, months in the waiting, all labeled, all packaged. 
all out in the mail today. So if you guys want to leave a review, you can drop a Twitter, Instagram handle on Apple or just DM me a screenshot from Spotify. And we are on Twitter and Instagram at The Dirty Sports. I am at Joe Prano on all social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, I guess. I'll have it logged into Facebook and forever. Instagram and TikTok at Joe Prano. Uh, I am at Fix Your Life on Twitter. I've got shows coming up next weekend. My snowballs. I'll be up in New Westminster, British Columbia, in the Vancouver area. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, headlining the beautiful House of Comedy BC. So come to that. Uh, shout out to Gramps, your your dear friend Matt Pedote, who came down to uh, the American Legion Hall in San Diego, where I did a show last night. Um, and for those of you who are in San Diego, I know I've seen a lot of dirt balls come out to the candy slash El Prez slash Reds comedy show at uh, that Josh Nelson runs. I was supposed to do it on Wednesday of next week. I have to cancel that because I will be flying to uh, Vancouver early the next morning. So I won't be doing that show, but come to see me in Vancouver. Come to see me in Chicago slash Milwaukee in February uh, with Eddie Ift uh, and all those dates and many, many more on my website, JoePrano.com. All right. Go check that out, Dirt Balls. You guys enjoy your NFL division playoff game weekend. We'll be back maybe Sunday night. Is Sunday night a possibility for you? I don't see why not. Okay. Or we can discuss off air. I I will be in charge of a four-year-old for a couple of days next week. So in charge of? Yes. We're just going full big daddy. Well, yeah, my brother and sister-in-law, are, they're headed to uh, Florida. So I got a few days with uh, a four soon to be five-year-old. So this is Great. a big test. It's a big test for Uncle Andy. Scuba, you going to go full scuba, Steve? Yeah, I mean. 30 packets of ketchup. We'll, we'll, we'll see. So I was hoping we could maybe do the show Sunday night after the game, if possible. Sure. One more plug before we go. If for anybody who's made it this deep into the show, I know I feel like people always, but I have gotten messages from people who are like, dude, I, I, I take it to the very, very end. Uh, this Saturday, I forgot one, one show plug this Saturday. I am opening for Eddie. If at the Irvine improv, uh, for his comedy album slash special taping. So, Please come to that. It's going to be super fun. Uh, it's just a two-man show. Me and then Eddie. And he's going to be taping. And it's going to be awesome. So if you're in Southern California anywhere, come on down to the Irvine Improv. It'll be a great show. I promise. Cool. Cool. All right, guys. Well, that's the show. We'll be back in a few days. Thanks for the support. And as always, stay dirty.